All right. Good morning. Good morning. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. All right. Let's get excited. Let's get excited. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for making it. Thank you for making it easy. Father, we just thank you, God, for this moment in history, Lord God, for this moment in time right now. We just ask that you would meet us right where we are, God, just like you do. Speak to our hearts. Speak to us, God. Comfort us. Confront us. Convict us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Here's the, here's the quote this morning. It would be better for the church if the warnings of the scriptures were studied as much as the promises. See, we, we, we want to lean into the promises as the body of Christ, but we don't want to heed the warnings. Good morning. Welcome to the Sanctuary Fellowship. There will be no warm and fuzzies here this morning. If you're just joining us, this is kind of where we are in our discipleship trip through the Old Testament. We've been, we've been following God's people and we've been following them through their journey from Genesis and, and we're going from here to there, from Genesis to the New Testament. Amen? From, from creation to the garden, from, from the fall to the hideout, from slavery to exodus, through miracles and battles to freedom and peace, through promises and oppressions, through deliverance and recaptivity, from obedience to outright idolatry, from repentance to wanting to be just like everyone else when God has called us to be so different. Amen? Somebody once said, if we don't study our history, we're destined to repeat it. So it's good that we can go through this, uh, follow God's people from the beginning to now, from here to there. And I love that we can go through the word and read about all the craziness that God's people have, have done in the past. Amen. I love that in God's sovereignty, the letters that he's left for us, what we know as the scriptures, the Bible, the word, I love that it's nothing like our Instagram. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, perfect people in perfect poses from perfect families in perfect locations eating perfect food. Perfectly prepared, presented at perfect angles, in the perfect perspective, in the perfectest time of day, in perfect lighting, making our skin perfectly flawless with the appearance of everything in perfect order. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you're social media, if you looked at it even once, you know it's all about angles and perspectives and perfectness. Uh, let me be honest with you. One of the, the hardest challenges of pastoring in the age of social media is when somebody calls you for help that you follow on Facebook. I said, well, what, what do you need help with? You're, 
you, you got a perfect family. Your kids are perfect. Your spouse is perfect. Your house is perfect. You eat in perfect places in the perfect time. And you're like, what would you possibly need help with? Amen? I thought you were going to come start something with me, bro. (laughs) Tell somebody, everything is not what it seems. Don't compare your life to people's Instagrams. Say amen. You'll thank me for that later. I love that God's word gives us the good, the bad, and the ugly on the people that he uses. And that's actually one of the factors that tells us how, how God-inspired the word is. Because if man wrote it, oh, it would be one giant highlight reel of everything that we've done with God and in God and through God. We'd get nothing, but instead it gives us uh, people to learn from, not because they did everything right. A lot of time, a lot of things that were recorded were written so that some of us, so that either we wouldn't have to learn some lessons the hard way, or so that when we did, we would know that God still uses people like us. Amen. There's three of us here. Good. I love this quote. God can write straight with crooked lines. Wow. If you've ever been a crooked lines, tell somebody amen. amen. So, all right, where, where are we in this, in this walk, in this journey? We've been, uh, th- this has been a fun trip for me. It's, it, I, I, hope, I hope we're learning. I hope we're growing. We, we, we started First Samuel. Pastor Gary told us about King Saul. How from his outward appearances, he was an amazing candidate and an incredible choice to be Israel's first king. He was from a wealthy family. Scripture actually records, it says it this way, There was not a man among the sons of Israel more handsome than he, he being taller than any of the people from his shoulder upward. So either he had a really weird long neck, or, or he was just like a head taller than everybody. He was just tall. Right? And so the problem was that he didn't have the character to be a king. Listen, listen to me. This might be some hard medicine. But some of us are capable and suitable to take on amazing challenges and hold incredible positions. But we don't have the character to stand in them. Some of us have the characteristics and the desires to be a great husband or a wonderful father, but we don't have the character yet to sustain that. See, Saul was more concerned with his Instagram. Well, back then it was MySpace. Or like Rockbook or Camel Space, I don't know, whatever. Right? But he was more concerned with impressing people than honoring God. He was more concerned with pleasing people than pleasing God. He was driven by people's opinions of him and what people thought over what God was thinking of him and was actually telling him. I I know none of you here are struggling with that, so we're just going to move on. Amen? 
So then in, in, in contrast, uh, Josh told us last week about King David. So we're, we've done first and second Samuel, we've been going. And so David was one of the youngest brothers when the prophet Samuel went to anoint one of the sons of Jesse as king and as God told him to do. And David wasn't even there. The word doesn't tell us this outright, but why were his seven other sons there and not him? Could it be that he wasn't even counted by his father? After none were chosen, of course, David had to be brought in and he was the one chosen. Listen to me this morning. If your father never saw anything good in you, you're in good company here this morning. That was for somebody. David gets chosen and appointed. Now, now let's not get it twisted. The word says David was healthy. He had a healthy glow and that he was handsome. So don't think that God only uses ugly people. There goes that theory. If you're a papi chulo, God could still use you. The point is that we have to look at the whole person. Amen. Too often we don't focus on the things that matter. I came to tell somebody today, stop worrying about everything else and focus on the things that matter. Stop worrying about what everybody else thinks and focus on the things that matter. Stop worrying about pleasing people and pleasing other other, and focus on the things that matter. Amen? So uh, like Josh shared last week, what won God's heart about David was that he was a man after God's heart. It wasn't his healthy glow. It wasn't his MySpace. It wasn't his positive attitude. It was, it was he saw his heart, right? And Josh broke it down nicely last week. It was the heart of a servant. So sometimes we have to put other people before us. Right? Too many people come to church and want to be served. You got to come to serve. It was the heart of a servant. Josh told us it was the heart of a warrior. Sometimes we have to do difficult things, even if we have to do it afraid. It was the heart that fears God. Who cares if everyone accepts you and God doesn't? Who cares? It was the heart of compassion. Like Josh said, we have to love people, man. We have to be a ride or die for God's kingdom, man, for his people. Amen? And it was the heart of repentance. Listen, we're not faking. We're not pretending, man. We're we're not going to always do everything right. Say amen. amen. But when we're wrong, we have to be willing to come clean. We have to be willing to make things right. Those are the things that matter. Those are the things that we want to be known for. Amen? Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a little bit of a history on me that I haven't shared in a long time, and I just felt it was the, the right time. Growing up, I always had a problem fitting in. Some of you are going to get the bochinche now. You're going to get happy. <laughs> Say, tell me, pastors, so I can talk about you. Growing up, I always had a problem fitting into groups. Since I was little, I was, I was, uh, I was an only child, so I was too old for the, for the younger cousins, and I was too young for the older cousins. So I was always, I, I wanted to, fit, I would do anything to fit into any group. And, and, and then I grew up um, the only white Hispanic 
in a dark-skinned Dominican neighborhood in Manhattan. You might not think that's a problem, but that was a big problem. The Dominicans always wanted to kick my butt. That's why I got Dominican jokes. See, Caesar? I got Dominican friends now. I love them. But they were always trying to kill me growing up. My, my, I had this, this guy. I invited him today. I, I don't see him here, but you're going to meet him one day. I had one friend who would never let me walk home alone. Because he knew the minute they let me walk home alone, I'm a dead man. So no matter what time we came home, no matter where we were coming from, no matter what time, Big Sam would walk me home. Big Sam would take me all the way to the house, make sure I was in the building before he walked all the way back to his place. Big Sam kept me alive, man. I invited him because I wanted you to meet him and love on him, but you're going to meet him soon. One time we were walking and... and as we walked past a group of them, right, you know, my, my Dominicans that love me, they started lobbing bottles. And so they throwing bottles in the air so that they would land right behind us and, you know, and, and, and splash us with the glass. Either that or they were trying to hit me and they just weren't good, you know, had a good arm, but whatever. And so, it, like, we weren't going to fight because there was two of us and a lot of them on the, on the, on the, on the, in front of the doorstep. But, but, but Sam was, was bold, man. So Sam turned around and he said, bro, why you got to act like that, man? Why you always got to do that? He tells them. And one of them, without, a, without hesitation, he stood up and he said, because we just don't like him. Pointing at me. And I got to tell you, I, that always stuck. I remember that like it happened yesterday, like it happened this morning. I know, I know the guy's face. I remember the moment and space and time. What every, I remember that moment like it was because I wore that. He said, we just don't like him. And uh, you have to understand now that echoed in my head. I wore that because here's another little bochinche about my life. In grammar school, there was this guy in the sixth grade that he was built like he was, you know, in high school. He looked like my friend Bricks over there. Um, and so everybody in, in, in sixth, seventh grade, they were scared of him because he was bigger than everybody. Maybe he had been left back six times or something. <laughs> but um, so bruto, but, you know, but big guy. And he didn't like me. And so back then, you know, if you grew up in the 80s, 70s, and 80s like me, everybody had a crew, right? Everybody remember crews? Who was part of a crew? Uh-oh. Well, no, don't shout out your crew name. Now we're going to be fights and battles. I, I, don't want no, I don't want drama here. Relax. Those, leave it in the past. Leave it back there. It's all right. There's no, we can do dance battles later in the, in the next door. So this guy that didn't like me, he decided he wasn't going to like me. He didn't want nobody to like me. He started a crew. And he named it the I Hate George Crew. I'm dead serious. And so, you know, the guys wore name buckles. Who had a name buckle back then? The brass. He polished the brass. Y'all should be embarrassed. Put your hands. (laughs) They're like... 
the mighty, whatever, you had the big long ones. So anyway, whoever was part of the crew had to wear their name buckle hanging down. And that meant they were part of the crew. Whenever they saw me in the hallway, whenever they bumped into me, they had to greet each other this way. I hate George. So there were a lot of dance crews, but in this Catholic school, Catholic elementary school, the main crew for the year was the I Hate George crew. And that's how they had to greet me every time I passed by. I hate George. So I've always had this, uh, uh, I don't like him. Um, the teachers noticed and they, and they, um, they met with my mother and, you know, they said, something's wrong here. Like, what, what does this kid do? You know, and they're trying to figure out what did he do to anybody? Why, why does nobody like this boy? And so they met with my mother. My mother, you know what she told me? She said, well, if so many people don't like you, it must be something about you. So for years, I couldn't understand why God will allow something so traumatic to happen to me. When I became a Christian, I started, I started sharing this story at youth events, you know, with youth groups. And every time I shared the story, a set of parents would come up, they would bring me their kid, and they said, they did that to my kid. They did that to him too. You encouraged them today. See, this is before bullying was uh, so. Uh, I still don't have the answers for all that, to be honest with you. Maybe it was to encourage those kids that were being bullied at, you know, later on, and maybe it was to be able to show them that you can get past this, that you can go on, that you can grow up, that you can be successful, that you can make them all look dumb later. Maybe it was that. Maybe, and I, I'm kind of leaning more toward this, maybe God was trying to keep me from forming relationships that would lead to my destruction. Hard to understand that as a kid. Easy to look back and say, most of those guys are locked up or dead right now. So maybe God was keeping me from forming those, those relationships. See, you might not have all the answers or explanations for the things that happen in your life, but you can trust that God will give you the grace that you need in every situation that you face. What the enemy meant for my destruction, God used for my good. <laughs> Here's the mystery, though. Here's the mystery in that. I wasn't a Christian. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't become a Christian until I was in my 20s. So all of that time, God was setting things up and preparing me and working things out for me and keeping me. I hadn't even chosen God yet. I hadn't made a decision to follow God. But, but he was keeping me set apart since grammar school, keeping me alive, though people wanted me dead. Even, even when I was in my darkest, listen, when I was in my darkest, I, I had tried everything else and I, I wanted to seek for, for search for spirituality and I got involved in, in the culture of my, my Cuban 
heritage and I started with Santeria and Espiritismo and I was worshiping saints thinking this is what God called me to do, right? So even in my darkness, God kept me and protected me through that. Though I was tormented every night, I was exposed to things and and saw things that I never wished for any of you to see or experience. I'm, I'm here to tell you that God kept me through it all. So that today somebody could walk into the sanctuary 2019 and find the peace of God and be accepted and get loved on and be liked and become part of the family and become part of the kingdom of God. He did that years before I even knew him. And to me that's what matters. That he loved me and kept me before I even turned to him. And so as we're moving from here in the Old Testament to there, John, the New Testament tells us, you didn't choose me, John 15, 16, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Amen? Come on. So in this series, we're, we're looking at God's people through these beginning years of formation as a, as a people of God. And, and what was going on through these times. And, and Gary and Josh, they, they told you about these two kings. I want to tell you where the people were through all of this. Through First and Second Samuel. If, you, if we can see anything clearly as we've walked through the Old Testament so far, here's, here, even in the little recap I did from Genesis to Judges, what we're looking at basically is the different way that people respond to God's grace and the outcomes and the consequences of that response. But the beauty of it all is that even though through some of these periods of time, God remains silent... How many of you had God silent through a season, right? How many of you been in season? You might be in a season now where God is silent. And you question and you argue and you fight and you, and you say, God, I'm doing everything I can do. I'm praying. I'm reading. I'm, I'm fasting. I'm, I'm like, what is it that you want? But you're silent. Even if, if we look through the history of God's people, even when God was silent, he never stopped listening. Because time after time after time, we read and we've experienced, we've seen that when the heart of the people turned to God, he was always right there working things out on their behalf. Not only working things out on their behalf, this is the crazy part. We, we think like today, like Sunday, I turned to God. Sunday, I, I made a decision to follow God. This Sunday, 2019, on this day, I made a decision to follow God. And, but, but God did things 30 years ago, <laughs> knowing that, that we would meet here. <laughs> I mean, do you understand the goodness? He, 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 you didn't know, you didn't know, you didn't know over here. You didn't know, you didn't care over here. You was doing your thing. You was breakdancing in a crew. You didn't know, you was getting high. You was sharing 40s with 16 guys, right? One bottle, remember? And let's not go too far back. Let's, let's come back over here. Let's come back over here. <laughs> let's come back, let's get out of there. 
But but he he did things over there so so that when you when you he's already I'm I'm already there. He never stopped listening. And so when the people turn their hearts to the things that matter, we, we see through the word that he, he was raising up a deliverer. He was raised, guiding some leader to, to get him through. He was sending a judge. He was preparing a king. Later we'll see he'll send prophet after prophet after prophet to warn and to guide and to bring hope and, and to bring the news of a soon coming king in place of their rebellion. Amen? When we get there to the New Testament... It says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in the book of Samuel, the people want a king. They have a spiritual leader in Samuel, but they want a king because they want to be like all the other nations. Even though God calls them and sets them up to be different, to be set apart, but we want to be just like everybody else. I wonder how many times that's been our prayer. God wants us to be different, but we're asking God to make us just like somebody else. I want to have money like that guy. I want to be famous like that lady. I want to be powerful like that guy. You, you have no idea where they stand in the kingdom of God or God's opinion on them. Our, our focus is on, on the right now. We, can we get what, what they have? I want to be who they are. Uh, I, I saw a popular tattoo. You see it everywhere. Some people have it here. Don't raise your hand if you have it. The, the tattoo says, laugh now, cry later. And it's tragic. Laugh now, cry later. We're focused on now. Everything is now. So they want a king like everybody else. God says, give them what they want. And Saul becomes king, and, and Pastor G already told you about all that. And when Saul dies, the king, the, the damage continues. See, where, 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 where are God's people in all of this? The nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, at this point, they're divided. They, they divide. They, a, a bunch of them here and a bunch of them there. There's north and south. There's, there's Israel and Judah. And, and then God showed them a better king in David, like, like Josh told us. And eventually David was able to reunite the tribes into one united Israel. But isn't it interesting that when we don't fight against what God tells us to battle, we end up fighting each other. When we don't fight the enemy, we, the enemy wins when the church stops fighting, when we stop fighting him and starts fighting each other. And so here at this point, the nations are fighting each other. They were, they were sent into the promised land to have everything that God promised them. Uh, so many times all we want is everything God, God you, you know, we, we come boldly sometimes to prayer, to church. I want everything you promised me, God. I want to walk in your promises. I want everything that you have for me. I want, but, but we don't want to do anything. We don't want to fight the things that he tells us to fight. We don't want to break those, those generational curses that, that are handed down in uh, alcoholism or, 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 or lust or all the, all the stuff that's been handed down through our, uh, my father was divorced, my father's father was divorced, this father was divorced, his, right? We don't want to break all those things. We don't want to break that thing that, that, that pulls us away from God. We don't want to break off those things. And we just want God's promises, though. 
But when we don't fight against the things that God tells us to fight, we end up fighting against each other. When we don't focus on the things that matter, everything else is meaningless. Unfortunately, Israel didn't stay united. And later on, under the leadership of David's son Solomon, who we'll talk about at another time, they were divided again and are still divided to this day. See, the error of David ways multiplied in his sons. This is key. You got to get this. When David took Bathsheba, that's the one, remember, he was chilling on the, on the rooftop and he saw Bathsheba bathing naked and he said, that chick is hot, I want her. First of all, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time because he should have been fighting. He's the king. The king goes to battle. He's sitting back home while the people are fighting. He's already in a bad place. When he decided to make her his wife and, and, then, and then added multiple wives and then he treated some differently and some sons he loved more than others and he treated some differently because he was so divided among them that he couldn't be the father that he should have been to them. He actually repeats the sins of his father who discounted him. Side note on polygamy on multiple wives because, you know, there's what, like six shows out right now on, on you know, sisters seeking sister wives and sister, all this nonsense, right? So it's not like irrelevant today. It's totally irrelevant. There's four shows and some of you are hooked and you watch them. Don't raise your hand. It's okay. And people say, well, God allowed it in the Bible. Abraham had wives. David had a lot of wives. David's son Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Did that just stress anybody out? Some of you men are dumb. You were just like, whoa, that's amazing. Come on, really, bro? A thousand women in your life. Let's make something clear though. What God allows doesn't mean he approves. Allowance is not the same thing as approval. Even with Solomon, he made him a king. He gave him great wisdom, but he didn't force him to walk in it. And so whenever you have a question about what God allows, the easiest thing to do is to go back to when it was created. Uh-oh. So God set forth marriage in Genesis 1 and 2, prescribed one man and one woman in a stable and fruitful relationship. God created Adam, only Eve, and not Maria, Carmen, Steve. God said that a man, singular, shall leave his father and mother, singular, and cling to his wife, singular. Two, not three or more, shall become one flesh. The hard lesson in this passage and in these kings is that their decisions not only affect them, and we need to own that today, they affect the kingdom and they affect the generations that follow. David's decisions affects us. Our decision affects our son's sons. Worship team, you guys can come. Toward the end of Solomon's life, David's son, 
God used them to write one more book, which we find in the Bible. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. And that, in that book, he gives us the rest of, of his story. Solomon, throughout the book, tells us that everything he tried to do in order to find fulfillment apart from God. And he tells us, in, in, he t- gives us his testimony in, in chapter 2, verse 8. He says, I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasures of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, men and women, and I had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire, but his harem did not bring happiness. Instead, he writes, everything was meaningless, a mere chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun, verse 11. And at the conclusion of Ecclesiastes, we find wise counsel. Here's what he says. This man who had a thousand women at his disposal, this man who had the wealth and the wisdom greater than anybody else. So he had wisdom and wealth And women, that's a whole other message. Here's what he says. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. These are the things that matter. Fear God and fear, keep his commands. Come on. In the New Testament, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he replied in Matthew 22, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and with all your prayer and with intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list, but there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are the pegs. Everything in God's law and prophets hangs from them. If you're hanging on anything else today, These are the things that matter. These are the things that are passed down. I'm going to ask my wife to come. Come. So how does this word apply to us today? King David made these decisions. Decisions that affected his family. They affected the people he was ruling. Think of ourselves as King David. What are the decisions we're making? that affect our children, affect church. I believe wholeheartedly that our church is meant to move forward and to break chains and and to to release prisoners. My heart right now and what we're looking looking forward to is working with trafficked children. That's where I want this church to go. But are we ready? Are we ready as a community? Could we work together? Can you work with the person next to you? Can you work with the person in front of you? Can you work with the person three rows from you? Do we love each other that way? You know, there have been seasons in my life in this church that I've been so broken and so hurt by people that I just wanted to stay home. 
because I was so broken. And I think if I wasn't married to George, I probably would have maybe just walked away, you know, going church hopping, found somebody else, someplace else. But the only thing that kept me here were the faces of the people here. And I knew that my decisions would affect you. You know, not to say that I'm a big thing or anything, but I know that I couldn't walk against God's will. And if I walked against God's will, it would affect you guys. And I couldn't do that. So I had to stand and I had to wait for God's healing. The biggest sphere of influence we have, right, are our kids. I've always feared, besides talking in front of everybody, you know that, uh, but I always feared, was I showing my kids forgiveness? Knowing, teaching them how to forgive others, how to be generous, how to not hold grudges, how to not walk in bitterness. Was I doing my job when it came to my kids? And it's the same thing here. Are we doing that for our kids? And are we doing that for each other? Are we, allow, are we walking in forgiveness? Are we walking in generosity? Are we walking in letting go and building, letting go and building communities? Guys, there's so much more for all of us to do, but we've called to do it as a community, not as a singular being. But there's that working, right? We got to work through those walls. We got to forgive those that we felt like we couldn't forgive. We got to let go of those grudges. We got to move in love and and generosity. And and that's what God is calling us to do. You know, and we have to teach that to our kids. It's not easy. Being at the season of my life, having grandkids, I think, oh my God. You know, you think about all the mistakes you made. But if my kids can say, my mom told me how to forgive because I watched her forgive and my mom taught me to be generous and to love others then that's the greatest thing amen. nothing else matters yes nothing matter. else yes amen, amen. And, and not that amen. it's not that I was perfect because I'm sure my kids I could tell you stories but did I continue to work on that did I continue to try to show that it's not we're not perfect but we're called to love and we're called to forgive and we're called not to walk in bitterness because that affects our kids and that affects the church as a body my holding on to bitterness affects you guys even though you may not know what I'm all bitter about it affects you guys because we're connected we're connected we're brothers and sisters under God and we are connected so I'm asking guys if there is something you're holding let it go let it go let's learn to just love and I know it sounds so cliche let's love but that's God's word and if it was so easy then we wouldn't be struggling with it right we would be in a different place in our lives Let's move forward in love because God has amazing things. There, there's those children, those traffic children that need us. There are those kids that are broken. There's those people that are broken and they need us. They need us as a body to be healthy, 
so that we can bring God's health and healing and love and restoration. So if you're with us today, guys, can you just stand? Thank you. Father God, you know us and you see us all here, Lord God. And we're all in different seasons of our lives, Lord Father God, but you're the God that sees us and loves us. And Lord, today we say to you, we commit to moving forward. We commit to moving forward and doing what you've called us to do, Lord. And thinking that it's not just about us, Lord God, but what we do affects everyone, Lord God, in this place, Lord God. So we give it to you, Lord. We ask that you just bring healing where there needs to be healing. That there would be a softening of people's hearts, Lord Father God. Where we have found it unable to forgive that we would forgive, Lord God. Father God, reach into our hearts and soften it, Lord God. Give us that heart of David, a heart of worship, a heart of forgiveness, a heart, Lord Father God, that loves people, Lord God, love the broken, that love the imperfect, Lord God, because we are all imperfect, Lord God. We give it to you, Lord God, and we look forward to the changes and the growing and the blessings as we walk in your obedience, Lord God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes, God. Yes, God.
Consider what God's standard is for forgiveness. And you would think that the creator of the universe, that he would have this huge, lengthy list that we could not attain or accomplish to receive his forgiveness. But all he says is that, that you would confess your sin and that you would accept it in your heart and that you would turn away from that. And you, you would believe that he is a forgiver and a redeemer. But when I look at the men, we got this long, lengthy list of things that you got to meet before I can forgive you. When the creator of the universe has just come, come to me, confess your sin and turn away. That easy. What does that say about us? Are we better than God no so I don't know what you've been holding on to what kind of unforgiveness is in your heart what things you've been requiring people to meet before you can show them love forgiveness but God set the example and he said if you would ask for forgiveness if you would turn away from your sin then I would forgive you cleanse you of all unrighteousness so if there's anybody here today that feels that they you had this misconception that God wanted you to clean your act up before you could come before him he wanted you to get everything in order if you've ever been fed that 
then that was out of order. So if you're here today and you want and you need God to forgive you, just lift your hands with me today. If you need Jesus in your life and for him to be your personal Savior, lift your hands with me today. This is going to be the beginning of your life. God is making all things new. The old has passed away. This is a new beginning for you. And I want you to repeat with me. Say, Lord, I need you. I know that I am a sinner. But I need you in my life to cleanse me, forgive me, make me whole again. That's it. It's no more, it's not harder than that. Your sins have been forgiven. He just requires that you turn away, that you don't go down that same path. And that you seek him with all your heart and all your desire and everything else, you'll get that. But make him your number one heart's desire today. You are blessed, so be a blessing. Have a wonderful week.